Welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. The Magic winners in Minnesota on Wednesday night. A game winner by Cole Anthony. And to talk about that and much more, super friend of the podcast. He is Dan Savage of OrlandoMagic.com. Maybe his 10th, 11th appearance probably on this podcast. You can follow him on Twitter. It's at Dan underscore Savage. And Dan, I call this the no prep pod whenever I have you on because I just like to, to kind of cut, to sit back <laughs> And, uh, and cut loose about this Magic team with you. And it would have been a lot more difficult to do this podcast, I think, today had we not saw what we saw last night. Midway through the third quarter of that game last night, Minnesota uh, with a 20-point deficit, 20-point uh, lead over the Magic. It was a 30-10 second quarter last night. But as we've seen in the last two games, it came up a bit short on Monday against the Knicks. Um, they got the offense going a little bit at the end of the third quarter yesterday. The defense locked down in the fourth, held Minnesota to 19 points. Uh, you get two very timely missed free throws at the end of the game. And then Cole Anthony with a game winner, which not only does it feel like, Dan, that this team needed it, I think probably people like you and I needed it, but certainly for Cole Anthony, who's been, I think, probably struggling with his confidence um, so far. He's just been thrust into a role that, you know, he didn't anticipate, the team didn't anticipate. Cliff said before the game yesterday, he was like, look, the guy got drafted like two months ago. Uh, no summer league. I mean, Cole Anthony has been – he's been trying to tread water, I, I guess is the best way to put it, over the last two weeks or so. Um, he hits the game winner last night, and it just felt like a uh, – what a release and a relief for both this team, for Cole Anthony, and maybe something you can springboard moving forward. No, no question, Jake. And I'm trying to make as many appearances on this show as Vince Carter played seasons in the NBA. There so, you go. okay, that's a good goal. So I'm, I'm chalking another one uh, on the board there uh, with this appearance today. But no, you're you're exactly right. Uh, this is a difficult situation for Cole Anthony when you consider just drafted a few months ago, uh, no summer league, no tr- you know a truncated training camp, shortened preseason. And, you know, quite frankly, not preparing for this type of role, even when he did have the time. So that's a lot to put on a kid's plate. And then on top of that, you have to consider he didn't even get a full college season at UNC. He was battling with, you know, injury and then, you know, focused on rehab. So that's a lot to put on a a young kid's plate. And, you know, on top of that, he's also playing the point guard position which if you check the rosters up and down the NBA is quite far and away the most difficult position to have to go against every night when you consider it seems like every team that the Magic are playing have a either a star or a budding star at that position so not only do you have to prepare to defend those guys and get yourself going but then you're also in the position where you need to know exactly where everybody else is on the court and get them involved in the offense. So a lot being thrust upon the rookie's plate, probably a lot more than the Magic would want. So something like this was extremely needed. He's harder on himself than any outside voices or anybody within the team. And so I think for a guy like that, to have a confidence booster amidst a struggle for the team and some shooting struggles for himself could pay uh, huge dividends going forward. I want to play um, a soundbite from the walk-off last night with Dante Marcantelli on Fox please, Sports Florida. Please. Oh, I want to give a big shout-out to my OG, my vet, James Ennis. He hit me for that three I had earlier in the quarter. He said, I believe in you. I said, bet. 
I'm gonna believe in myself too. I have, I ain't gonna lie, my confidence might have been shaking a little bit just for these past couple games. Us losing, it's just losing never feels good. It's never good for someone's confidence. But James gave me some confidence, and that shot definitely gave me some confidence. So I'm ready to keep this joint going. That's Cole Anthony, Dan, and you know him. Uh, at least, you know, as, as an interviewer, interviewee uh, in that type of relationship. But I, I think probably people in Orlando are just kind of getting used to his personality. And certainly you make a couple shots like that and you're a starter now uh, on, on an NBA team at, at what, 19 years old, uh, 20 years old. That personality is, I think it's, it's going to go past Central Florida. Um, he's got a national big-time personality. Obviously his father um, and, and, and sort of the – um, I guess the profile that he grew up around plays into that, but but just tell you know what's your personal experience like dealing with Cole and and, and that big personality? I think it's um I think it's something that this Magic team sort of needs. No, unquestionably, and I spent a lot of time with Matt Lloyd, really deep diving into Cole Anthony's history, the scouting process behind him, uh, right after the draft for a in depth feature. I was doing so I feel like I know him as well as one possibly could without having met him in person thanks to uh, <laughs> COVID restrictions and everything we're dealing with this season so but from Cole's perspective he was built for these type of moments you look back a lot of players would run away from the fact that their father was an NBA player not want to talk about it hide from it he's never done that a lot of people Nowadays, young prospects try to get onto the draft scene and then hide themselves. He never did that. You look, he played at the biggest high school programs in the country, whether it was in New York or later transferring to Oak Hill, uh, then going to college at UNC, playing at endless tournaments, racking up endless amounts of accolades along the way. He's never shied away from moments, and you could tell from his demeanor, when I do have opportunities to speak with him, he's very confident in his abilities, extremely competitive. And like I said, he's harder on himself than anybody. There's no question with Cole Anthony, does he want this? He absolutely lives, breathes, eats basketball. You see some young players come into the league now, they're more focused on their brand, their social media presence. How does this or that affect them marketing opportunities that's not what Cole Anthony is interested in he's interested in hooping and you could tell it's in his blood uh he says his father calls him after every game to tell him how poorly he did (laughs) I'm sure it meant a lot to him that you know his father tweeted out after after last night's game you know proud papa because uh Cole showed up to the moment and and the video too of of him getting into the locker room after that walk off with Dante and uh, man it just felt like a release of of tension I mean obviously you snap a six, uh, snap a six game losing streak but you got Evan back last night uh, and even still you were struggling and look Evan played great I thought all night he played great uh, certainly in the first half so you felt like immediately the impact of getting him back um, but then but then you you know you're trailing to a team that you should beat. And so I think, you know, not only was it like just in the nick of time to win that game, but it really felt like you saw sort of a culmination of the struggles this team has gone through and the frustrations with injuries to Markel and, and, and Jonathan in the summertime and MCW out and, um, and, and the struggles we've seen over the last 
what week or two, uh, Evan being out, and even go back to the beginning of the season, Ennis and uh, Terrence missing a little bit of time, and Aaron with the hamstring. Everybody, I mean, this team has been so banged up that it felt like um, it really felt like a, a moment this team needed last night, and you sort of saw all that come together when when Cole walked into the locker room and they all uh, and they all splashed him with all the water. No, unquestionably, you could feel the emotion. My favorite part about that is how he he walks into the the locker room. And everybody's, you know, pouring water on him, jazzing him up. And he's kind of, you know, embracing it. And, you know, he kind of falls back for a second and then he goes, you know what, I'm embracing this too. And, and jazzes everybody else up. I, yeah. I that was a special moment. But it was big for an Orlando Magic team that I thought came out with the intensity and focus that they had been talking about the last few games. They had some slow starts and they actually played really well in the first quarter. You know, I was talking with uh, Jake Frederick of the Pioneer Press, and I do a, a game preview for every game where I talk to, you know, the rival beat writer, et cetera, and get some close breakdowns of the Minnesota team. And they were talking about Josh Okogi and his poor shooting from the outside and how that was a struggle. And then, you know, wouldn't you know, the guy comes out and knocks down, felt like his first 10 threes of the game. Right and really kept Minnesota in the game early because you take away some of those shots that you're looking at and you're like, that's not probably the shot they wanted. And the Magic have a huge first quarter lead that may set the momentum for the second quarter. I think, meanwhile, Minnesota felt we shouldn't be in this game right now. We are. And then that provided a boost when their second unit came in. So uh, like Steve Clifford said before – uh, last night's game, when you have an injury like they had with Evan Fournier, uh, it shifts everything. You have now guys that leave the bench that now have to go into the starting unit, guys that have to play bigger roles, guys that have different playing partners and groups. And subsequently, the other side of that is when a guy does come back healthy, you have to reset the deck a little bit. So right. Dwayne Bacon, who's used to playing with Vooch and Aaron Gordon and you know, a number of the other guys now slides back into that second spot where he's trying to figure out how to get offense alongside a stellar shooter like Terrence Ross. So you had a lot of those juggling around. And I think that's what we felt when watching that second unit with the magic in the second quarter last night was you had a lot of pieces that weren't quite used to playing with one another. You had Aaron Gordon at the point guard position, which you know, he's still getting accustomed to alongside players who aren't used to playing with one another. So to me, it was no surprise that they struggled in the second quarter. What was actually surprising to me was the way they responded in the second half. And that unit actually played pretty well together, all things considered. Yeah, and in Minnesota, you you could feel it sort of second quarter. I think if I recall, Russell got going a little bit. Beasley got going in the third. And really with that team, because you're right, Okogi uh, um, in the first quarter, he – and I think probably the game plan was to leave him. And to yeah, you would think. You One would think. going into the game, I think, from three-point range. That was probably it, exactly. And then, and then he stings you a little bit. Um, and it, it did. It just sort of felt like, okay, yeah, of course. Why? That, that's the that, Dems the breaks right now for this Magic team. 
Um, but that's why they play 48 minutes. And again, we saw, you know, in the New York game, you make some shots. And that's basically what happened last night, the second quarter. You couldn't make a dang shot from the perimeter. And we've seen that at times, but you just got to keep working the offense and trust that eventually at some point, with like four minutes left yesterday, they were shooting 25% from three, uh, if I recall. And then they went like four of their last seven. You got to work the good shots and eventually you got to knock them down. Last thing on Cole, because I think this applies to Markel. And I think we're all guilty of this. Um, but you bring up point guards around the league, right? And I was, um, I was actually thinking in the, uh, in the Boston game, I'm sitting there watching Jeff Teague, and I'm going, you know, Jeff Teague is still a pretty good player. He's a backup at this point in his career. His best basketball is behind him. But he's still a guy who can see Cole Anthony across from him and say, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to show you a couple things about starting and stopping and getting a guy on your hip uh, and how to run pick and roll. And point guards, and Teague's a good example. I think there's some great examples. Lowry's a great example. Uh, Goran Dragic. Like, these guys didn't start for the first five years of their careers. Like, point guards almost no matter what get better every year um, as they gain experience because so much of the, of the position is between the ears. And so with a guy like Markel or a guy like Cole, you can't ever almost until they get to maybe 30 years old um, say this is it and, you know, put a cap on them and their development and say this is the ceiling because point guards, it seems like more so than any other position, continually get better year in and year out as they gain experience. No, no question. And you really want a point guard to at least have one or two runs through the league to know how each guy approaches a position from the other team before they come into any starting role. And so for Cole Anthony, this is trial by fire. Uh, You've got every guy coming at you. And, you know, when they're looking at the scouting report, they're like, I got a rookie tonight. Like, you know, this is a chance for me to showcase a guy who may not necessarily know everything I've got in my bag of tricks, hasn't seen certain things. Uh, So, to, to me, the, the more difficult guys for Cole Anthony to cover are these veterans. You know, there's a reason like the Andre Millers of the world <laughs> hang around forever. Because well, I have thought about him forever. <laughs> they, they, they have these crafty bag of tricks that they could pull out on, on rookies and, and younger players. And you'd often see those type of veterans uh, have big games against some of the younger squads in the NBA. So... So for Cole Anthony, I think he's going to continue to get better. This is going to be the, you know, perhaps the toughest part of his career when you really consider the role he's been thrust in, having playing groups changing around him, uh, and then on top of that, really having to learn the league. But if there's a guy who's built for it mentally, it's him. I think his father, you know, has helped prepare him all throughout his life for what's to be expected obviously had tremendous collegiate coaching with Roy Williams and playing for one of the best college programs in the country. So he's certainly built for this type of moment. And I only expect it to get better for here. The, the real thing I'd like to see though, is him string together some good offensive performances off this game because he needed a confidence boost and hopefully this gives it to him. Yeah, the you know he was three for three from long range last night, and he's been talking recently. I mean, nobody's been able to make a shot from the perimeter, um, but that kind of specifically is what's been bothering him. And we know we've seen the jumper; it's pure. It's going to get better, um, but you probably want it to be, and he probably expects it to be better than what twenty seven percent or whatever it's at right now um, mm-hmm. from long range. And certainly, yeah. when he gets up even over thirty, it's going to make a big difference for this team. 
Yeah, and actually the last thing I'd add with him is a lot of his game is predicated on craftiness. Yeah. And the thing about him where I think you'll see a huge step, especially as he heads into his second and third year in the NBA, is he'll get a better feel for how teams and other players guard him. And for crafty players who aren't necessarily doing everything off explosiveness mm. and athleticism, you often see those jumps a little bit later as they process the information that they're given with the scouting reports, experiencing how other teams are guarding them, seeing the different defenses. Because once he could find how he gets can get to the spots he wants to on the court and get to the areas around the rim that he really wants to, I think you're going to see the game open up for him. So I could see him blossoming in almost a second year, second season explosion as he gains all this information, processes it, and then has a full off season to, to hopefully deal with all of this. Yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying and, and it works both ways. Like you, you make a runner, a pass or two through the league and now you know who runs what stuff, where the screens are coming from, what kind of coverages um, work best against, against who, you know, tendencies, all that stuff um, at the point guard position is uh, very difficult to ask, uh, somebody who is, um, you know, was drafted not very long ago, didn't have summer league, uh, like Cliff says, and um, has just been thrown into it. So, and, and look, we saw that with Markel. I mean, Markel made a huge leap um, in the first, what, 10 games or so this year before he got hurt. And I, I think a, a full season in off season um, and, and sort of the, the chance to review mentally what just happened to you uh, makes a huge difference as far as point guards go. I want to talk about the rotation. Evan comes back last night. Um, I think there are, I think we can read into some of this, right? Like moving Dwayne Bacon to the bench, I thought made a lot of sense because now you can maybe sort of utilize him a little bit more offensively. Some of the things we know he's capable of doing, getting downhill, getting into the paint and creating from there. We didn't see Jordan bone last night. It feels like Aaron Gordon now is going to be your de facto backup point guard. And Cliff's going to try to stagger those minutes. I think it's been three games now, if I recall, uh, that Cam's been the first guy off the bench for Aaron. Uh, so Cliff, and, and some of that was by necessity, just trying to get his best players on the floor for as many minutes as possible. Um, but you can kind of work some of that high-low stuff if you've got Cam and Vooch on the floor together. Cliff's still experimenting, and some of this is by necessity because of injuries. Um, but he's, he's, he's trying to go through and figure out how, you know, the different pairings and groupings um, and, and how best to maintain a level of balance um, when he, like he always talks about, when he breaks that lineup, um, does this make sense to you, moving, moving Dwayne to the bench? And, and just get into a little bit, Dan, if you would, like how many different ways having Evan Fournier back helps this team? Because I sat there yesterday and, you know, I freestyled about 10 different ways off the top of my head that getting Evan back was going to help. It's just it has that ripple effect on the rest of the roster. No, unquestioned. And I think it ripples even further out the, the longer games go because people still have to adjust to him being back and figuring out how to play. And so once everybody gets accustomed to now who's around them and the lineups that are structured, they'll only get better offensively than they are right now. So it's not a ripple that's like an instant drop of a huge rock into the water and then it stops, you know, it, it expands out and it keeps going. And I Listen think that applies it's, it's poetic, Dan. <laughs> but I, I actually thought you, you asked the best question of the pregame press conference. I had my hand raised. And then once you asked that, I felt like uh, it was asked. <laughs> 
better than I even would have, which was to Cliff about Bacon. Does putting him with the second unit allow Cliff to now start running offense for him? And as one of the better offensive players on this team, uh, that's definitely the case. And, you know, Cliff touched on it pregame. When you have guys like Vooch out there, you're trying to get him going. Aaron, you're trying to get him, you know, touches. Cole, you want him to feel comfortable and in a rhythm, so he needs to get going. And now you throw Evan back in the mix, who's a good secondary playmaker. There's only going to be so many opportunities for Dwayne Bacon, so why not piece together a defensive intensity player like James Ennis, who's going to do all the hustle things around those guys, and then balance it out with some offense on that second unit. I expect Dwayne to, to continue to get better there, it's a little bit of an adjustment playing alongside a guy like Terrence Ross. Yep. You really have to figure out how am I going to start to get my touches? It's real easy if you're a guy like Ken Birch, because what you do is you go out there and set strong screens and play off of the attention that Terrence Ross, Terrence Ross draws. It's also really easy if you're a playmaking point guard where you're used to, you want to get teammates involved and kick to them. Uh, because he's going to come off screens, and as long as you place it exactly where he wants it, he's going to knock it down. But if you're a, if you're a secondary playmaker, a guy who likes to drive to the rim like Dwayne Bacon does and really play in the mid-range, you kind of have to figure out the timing and rhythm of everything because so much motion is taking place to help get Terrence his shots, and as it should be because he's such a dynamic offensive player. So I think as Dwayne figures out that rhythm and when's the appropriate time to cut, when's the appropriate time to dribble and look for my shots, uh, that's going to get more easy for him. And what I'd look as time goes by and this team maybe gets a little more practice or in this season walk ballroom walkthrough time, uh, they'll have a bigger playbook which to go to for Dwayne to get him in a rhythm. Let's talk about Vooch. I, I mean, it's it's almost like old hat now. Uh, he's he's just he's putting up remarkable, remarkable numbers. He's the only player in the NBA this season averaging twenty plus points, ten plus rebounds, shooting fifty percent from the floor, forty plus percent from three. He's really Dan. He's turned into the best stretch five in the league, in my opinion. And when I say that, you know, I know you can go to Jokic and um, guys like that, but I I think Vooch is a true stretch five. He is a center. He's going to get you 20 and 10. He's not going to, you know, he doesn't have the offense running through him like Jokic, um, but he is, he can play the throwback center. And then, but what he likes to do is pick and pop. Um, and, you know, there's, I don't know, um, Kevin Love type, you know, aspect to his game, I guess, when, when Love was at his best. He's just night in and night out. He's so damn consistent. And I think we take it for granted. No, it was like he had 28 points last night and, Nobody even really asked about it because it's just expected. It's like, eh, 28 and eight, like, all right. like, And that's just how far he's come. There's so many elements to his game that to me, like you, you said, you know, best stretch five. I actually think he's the most well-rounded center okay. in the NBA because maybe his playmaking isn't quite as good as Jokic, but it's better than almost everybody else. Yeah. You know, Maybe his three-point shot isn't as good as Carl Anthony Towns, but it's up there with anybody else. You know, maybe his post-game isn't quite as good as Joel Embiid's, but he's right up there and, and right behind him. Uh, there are a few players who could shoot the mid-range as well as he does. 
Uh, he's a great rebounder. And then on top of that, I think one of the extremely underrated and not nearly talked about as much is he's in the right position defensively all the time. His teammates know where he's going to be. Is he the best shot blocker? No. But on the flip side of that, he does not commit fouls. Mm. So often you look at, if you watch other games on league pass and you're looking at centers, you know, a lot of these guys pick up some quick fouls and teams have to adjust their lineups accordingly. Vooch doesn't foul. He's always straight up. And a lot of times when fouls are called on him, there was one last night, you could really question the call. Uh, it's almost like the whistle's blown, assuming there was contact. And when you look at the replay, you're like, no, actually, he may have swiped down, but he didn't make any contact with the arm or, or do anything like that. So he's just a very smart player on all facets of the game. And it's funny, you'd think that he didn't have a next level to him. Like when I was thinking like five years ago, it was like, how much better can he really get? And then seemingly every offseason, he gets better. And I think the bright spot for Magic fans, if you're really thinking about it, is there is very few or very few aspects of his game that are predicated on immense athleticism. Yes. So like a fine wine, I think Vooch will continue to get better with age and could play deep much further into his career than a lot of these centers that we talk about throughout the NBA. Like the Gasols. It, it yeah. always reminds me of those guys. They age so gracefully because they never left the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes you're like, Vooch dunked the ball. Uh, <laughs> but those, those, those dunks he's saving on when he goes with those little lay-ins that uh, you know probably make it very hard for the social team to find highlights at time. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> on the flip side of that, he's saving himself. So when he's 37, you know, he's not wearing double ice packs on <laughs> on his knees at halftime just to roll him out there for the third quarter exactly and now you know he's so good in transition with those trail threes um he this is from be magic or be gone on twitter he leads the league in catch and shoot points per game at 10.7 uh also leads the league in both made and attempted catch and shoot field goals per game uh 4.1 made and 8.5 attempted i mean these are like Richard Hamilton, Bradley Beal numbers. Like you don't often see this from uh, from a center, but he's so good in the pick and pop game. And I do think those trail threes in transition, and it's changed now that Markel's gone. Like it's not as, and we can argue about if it's transition or early offense or however you want to call it. It's not necessarily fast break points, uh, especially if you're waiting for Vooch. Um, there's a reason it's called the trail. Um, but he's, he's always in the right spot with that, and he's really good at stopping, catching, and popping uh, and knocking those shots down. It's a whole other element of offense. We think of him as, as, as you know, specializing in the half court, um, but he's really good when they play with pace as well. No, unquestionably. And, you know, one of the things I was – stats I was looking at, because there's just so many around him right now of things he's done well and things nobody's de- never done before – but, you know, there's a site called NBA Math, which has a concept called TPA, yeah. which really looks at, you know, both the defensive and offensive effectiveness on a per-possession basis while incorporating the amount of playing time uh, the player receives. So you really – what it's looking at is like, okay, his team averages five points more per 100 possessions than an average player would in his spot – 
And he does it, you know, with a certain efficiency level, you know, you're not going to really get benefited from taking 37 shots and making 10 where, you know, you'll be, you'll receive more of a benefit if you took 20 and made, you know, 17. So Vooch in that category is second in the NBA right now in TPA behind only Jokic. And that's for all players at all positions. Mm. So anytime you're in a category where you're talking about efficiency and contribution levels, and you're ahead of guys like Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, et cetera, you know, you're doing something really well. So I I think Vooch has hit a different gear this season and it's, (laughs) it's kind of our job to continue to sort through all these neat stats and just figure out how special and historical it's been. Yeah, I feel like every I feel like every day you could come up and um and and hop on Twitter or or if you want to surf nba.com the stats you can find something set set your little filters and uh, and Vooch will be at the top or near the top um, of a lot of those lists. Let me just kick it around the NBA with you real fast before we go. Um, is Brooklyn going to win the championship? The the thing that I'm most interested in with them is with those three players together on the court, do they have enough defense for when the NBA goes into the usual playoff half-court offensive sets? Uh, They certainly have more than enough offense. (laughs) There's no question about that. Three of the best, you know, perhaps half-court offensive players in NBA history. When you look at what Kyrie can do breaking down a defender there, Kevin Durant, I think – is the most suited to play off ball of all three of them because he can just knock down shots off catch and shoot. If you need him to create offense, he will, he can do whatever. He's so versatile. Plus he has experience playing alongside other great players as he did when his time in golden state and having to, you know, play second fiddle at times and then go, you know, knowing when to kick it into another gear. Uh, The interesting to thing to me will be, you know, if they ever decide that they'd rather have, uh, you know, a bunch of role players rather than just three superstars. But I think that's a a question you, you know, you could kick down the road. Uh, So I'm certain they're going to see how well these three guys can work together. They all obviously wanted to play together. And the interesting thing to me, the only thing that could potentially hold them well actually I would say the two things that could prevent them from winning a championship are one injuries obviously you know have to stay healthy with a group that has some injury question marks and then two do they have enough defense to get stops once the NBA kicks it into that playoff gear where teams are really defending they have a lot of time to game plan and scout and on top of that you know uh, it'll go into more of a half court offensive set do you expect them though to add veterans or make some more moves or buyouts or something like that. I mean, I, I don't think this team looks the way it will in, in May or whatever. No, I believe they still have three empty got three roster, roster spots. So there's no question they're going to find ways to fill those. And obviously when you consider the market that they're in, the players that are there, yeah, there'll be some, interest. you know, there's going to be interest. They'll be at the top of any free agent or any cap casualty, uh, any guy cut after a sign and trade at the deadline. They're going to be on the top of the list for any of those guys. So 
I, I expect them to add there. You know, there's obviously the trade deadline where they could make other decisions, but what a what an interesting place to be. Uh, what an interesting team to cover when I was talking to, you know, some of their beat guys prior to the Magic games. It was like two weeks ago, they were living a completely different life. And now <laughs> between everything that happens, uh, it's like a 24-hour <laughs> a day coverage all eyes everywhere are on them and the expectations had shifted from, all right, this was a year where we're going to figure out what we potentially needed, how far we could go with the way it's constructed to now we're in win it all mode instantaneously. So, uh, and then plus you have the Kyrie watch, uh, which is just another fascinating. It's it's a content fact. How about two, two weeks ago? How about two years ago? They were trying to sell people on Rodion's Coup Roots two, two years ago. And D'Angelo Russell and a cast of, uh, of send-offs. And, and wow, what a great story. They're, uh, they're going to make the playoffs. And now uh, it's more firepower, more star power than you could imagine. It's like a, a VH1 show. Uh, last thing, the Clippers are out of their minds right now. They won five straight. Now, it hasn't been against the best competition. Bulls, Pels, Kings, Pacers, Kings. But their totals in those five games, 130, 111, 138, 129, 115, it feels like they're I, – I think people aren't going to take them seriously because of the way last year unfolded. But it kind of feels like they've got the chemistry thing down. They did make you know some minor moves within the locker room. Obviously, Doc out, Ty Lue in. Um, are we underrating the Clippers? I think so. I think Kawhi sent a message uh, the other day when he just ripped the ball out of De'Aaron Fox's hands as he was going <laughs> to win and just took it all the other the other way and dropped a three. It was just like <laughs> it was like De'Aaron Fox is really good at going to the rim. I don't know if people realize that, right. <laughs> and he just ripped it out like he wasn't even there, like he was playing against a child, and took it the other way and, and dropped the three uh, effortlessly. And it's just like one of those moments where, did, did I just see that correctly? He's treating the competition like they're kindergartners and uh, he's going to work. They, they certainly have the talent. I think they were a team that with the way they were constructed, it, may, it was going to take a year to figure out what are the roles, what are the areas we need to improve on, and how That's do we point. build upon this? Uh, I'm sure the loss of Trez was, you know, something that may affect them a little bit. Uh, especially as you get into the second half of the season and you could really use a guy like him. But uh, I think they've figured out how to play and maximize a lot of the guys. And so I'll be curious because really the, the judgment for them is going to come in the postseason, uh, how all this translates going forward. Yeah. It's um, I think it's reasonable to assume that it will be the two LA teams um, at least in the final four perhaps. And then we'll see how the rest of it shakes out. Um, Denver's a wild card. You Denver's know, a wild card. I, I still think um, playing at their best, the jazz are, are capable of getting to that point. I'm very interested to see what Dallas does um, at this point. Um, I don't know. It's a, uh, it, it, it's crazy. Look, Denver's seven and seven. So is Dallas right now. Both yeah. of them are on the outside looking in, technically speaking. Uh, Utah is 10-4, and four and they've gotten off to a good start. They've won six in a row. Um, but, you know, you got Phoenix in there. Golden State's playing great. It is like murderer's row out there. Um, and, look, right now, early on in the, in the season here in the Eastern Conference, I still think Philadelphia is the best team that I've seen. 
Yeah. You know, Brooklyn scared the hell out of me the other night. Like Harden and Durant, I mean, it was obviously the first night. And I don't even read too much into what happened last night. Like they're very clearly – last night they were trying to get Kyrie involved. Um, it's going to take them a little while, and they're just going to be – they're just going to blow teams out of the water once they get it going. Um, but Philadelphia, to me, and like – I actually, I probably believe less in Milwaukee than any other team just because we've seen what happens to them in the postseason. No, no question. Uh, I, I tend to watch a lot of these Western Conference teams on League Pass just because our games are usually wrapped up and wrapping up, so I have them on and able to watch every single one of them. So I've watched just about every, you know, Nuggets game this season. And, you know, they're still trying to figure out how to make up for some of their offseason losses but once they figure that out, as they're starting to, uh, I think they'll they'll hit another gear and they'll be in the conversation in the West. Like you said, Philadelphia, they're they're going to be a tough out. Uh, Milwaukee, uh, to to me, I was expecting to see a slightly you know stronger start. They've still you know obviously been uh, impressive. There's no question about that. But uh, but I don't know. There's something still quite. I can't put my finger on it yet. A, a little bit lacking about them, um, and I know some of the people around there ha- have felt it too to start. And it'll be curious to see, um, you know, how it all comes together for them because obviously they're still working in you know new pieces as well. Uh, but it's all going to be judged off the playoffs for them, like a lot of these other mega superstar teams that we talked about. This has been so crazy, the start to the season. I mean, I feel like we've been playing for, for three months already. <laughs> it's been less than a month. It's been less than a month, Dan, since we've been playing regular season basketball. Isn't that crazy? It feels like a year. It feels honestly like a year. Uh, and, I mean, it, it, I don't even know when last year ended and this year began, last season ended and then started again and then ended again uh, and no preseason. But what I do know is <laughs> – I know the Magic are seven and eight right now, and I know the Magic have the Indiana Pacers on Friday night, wrapping up uh, a what was supposed to be a six-game road trip, ended up being a five-game road trip, uh, and it would be great if you could do so with a W. Come back two and three. He's Dan Savage. He will probably be on the podcast again within the next two or three weeks uh, if, he, if he doesn't mind. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Dan underscore Savage, uh, Mister Everything for OrlandoMagic.com. Read all his stuff at OrlandoMagic.com. Thanks, Dano. Appreciate it. All right, Jake Chapman here. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Jake Chapman OM. Back next week at some point with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast. Till then, be safe, everybody. (laughs) 